Hey everyone, this is Lee. One quick note before you listen to this jam-packed podcast. Grant and I recorded this episode Tuesday evening before Curtis Bolton made his first public comments since the OU Texas game. I mention this because Bolton shed light on some details surrounding the OU Texas halftime alleged altercation with Mike Stoops. Speaking Tuesday night, Bolton said there was no huge argument and no huge fistfight between he and Mike Stoops. Bolton also said that he and Stoops did not exchange any words in the locker room during halftime. Additionally, Bolton did say he left the locker room at halftime of the OU Texas game, Bolton saying he needed to get some air to focus back in. More from Bolton, he said he loves this Oklahoma team and he's not going to quit on this team. Bolton admitted he could have handled the situation better and that he's got to set an example for the team. Prior to Bolton telling his side of the story, all we had gotten was Mike Stoops' account, which he detailed on the radio last week to Dusty Dvorak. Stoops, like Bolton, also said the two did not say any words to each other at halftime, and Stoops said the report that there was an altercation was not true. I ask you to keep all this in mind when Grant and I are talking about the Mike Stoops drama from the past 10 or so days. We do our best to lay everything out clearly in case some of the information you've heard has been confusing, which a lot of it to me, candidly, has been confusing. So without further ado, here's Grant with the opening take. Oklahoma picked a pretty great time to have their bye week this season. While four top 10 teams lost over the weekend, the Sooners were chilling at home. After a rough game against Texas, it was very nice not having to play on a chaotic college football Saturday. But with four teams ranked ahead of the Sooners losing last weekend, I sense there's a newfound optimism amongst the fan base regarding OU's playoff chances at the end of the season. Well, I'm here to throw a dose of reality at everyone. Yes, last weekend was crazy in college football, and it's not a bad thing that teams ahead of OU lost. However, literally nothing has changed at all regarding Oklahoma's playoff chances since the Red River shootout ended. Let's game it out a little bit. First, just don't worry yourself at all about what happens in the SEC. The only disaster scenario here is if a one-loss Georgia beats an undefeated Bama in the SEC championship game, and seeing as that hypothetical scenario is about seven weeks from potentially happening, there's no reason to fret about it. The SEC champion is getting in the playoff, period. Let's move on. Clemson will likely get into the playoff over Oklahoma no matter what, as long as they are ACC champs and have one loss or fewer. can move on from them. The Big Ten champ will get into the playoff over Oklahoma no matter what, as long as they are conference champs and have one loss or fewer. This only applies to Ohio State and Michigan. Let's move on. That brings us to the team that partially controls OU's destiny, and that is Notre Dame. Simply put, Notre Dame must lose a game for Oklahoma to have any chance at participating in this year's playoff. Over the next month, you will hear lots of analysis, lots of predictions, and lots of hypothetical scenarios, and none of them matter unless Notre Dame loses a game. Period. Half of the season still remains, so there's plenty of time for chaos to hit college football. So much can happen for sure, but if we're being completely honest, we must acknowledge that in addition to winning seven straight games and showing significant improvement on defense, which is a very tall order, Oklahoma's fate jointly is in the hands of the Fighting Irish, and they have a very manageable schedule to finish things off. For now, I think the best mindset for the Oklahoma fan is to focus on the Big 12 solely, 
starting with a massive game this week in Fort Worth against a desperate TCU team. Worrying too much about the playoffs right now is just going to drive you crazy. I'm Grant Benson. This is West of Everest. Play action. Nobody open at first. Now into double coverage and picked off by Will Johnson. Oklahoma takes it right back, taking advantage of the special special teams. That was Will Johnson with the interception, which welcomes us into today's episode of West of Everest. Johnson's pick was one of two turnovers forced by the Sooners in last year's Big 12 championship game win over TCU. Hey, everybody. I'm Lee Benson. You heard my brother Grant at the top of the show with his opening take. We'll bring him back in a little bit to talk some OU football. It's been a week since Mike Stoops was fired. Stoops did some radio interviews last week. There's been a lot of drama or perhaps some perceived drama surrounding that OU Texas game. We'll give our final thoughts on all of that stuff. Plus, I found some stats that make me confident in Ruffin McNeil running the Oklahoma defense. And we'll talk all things Sooners TCU coming up. But first, I've got to commend all of you who are listening to the show and are continuing to support West of Everest. And also, I appreciate the constant ratings and reviews being uploaded to iTunes each and every day. If you like listening to the show and you have not left us a rating yet, we would certainly appreciate you taking a minute or two to head to iTunes and let us know how we're doing. The more ratings we get, especially the more positive ratings we get, that'll help us when it comes to the iTunes rankings, which exposes the show to more people who may like to join in with the West of Everest community and listen along as we all talk about the Sooners. If you're on Facebook, head over to the West of Everest Facebook page and give us a like. Once you do that, you'll be able to interact with us on Facebook as well as join in whenever Grant and I do a Facebook Live. If you're on Twitter, I am at Lee Benson News 9. Grant is at Grant Benson 25. Also, email. You can email the show, westofeverest at gmail.com. I failed to check the West of Everest email account for a few weeks. I went ahead and took a look at it this past Monday, and I saw a very kind note from a listener who's a big fan of the show and also happens to be a football coach. So thank you again to that listener for reaching out, hoping to get your football feedback as we move forward with this season and beyond. All right, let's bring back Grant now. And I got to say, Grant, I uh, do not 100% agree with your opening take. Really? Do you want to do this right now then? let's. You want to you talk this through? Because, man, I... I am I'm very adamant that I was 100% correct in that opening take. There is I, I'm I'm hearing a lot of a lot of playoff talk uh, in this fan base over the last 10 days or so, and that's the one blind spot I'm seeing is that I I think everyone is is mentioning Notre Dame, but they really do they I mean they they really do kind of have the, the Sooners' fate in their hands. They have to lose absolutely. No. I agree with all of it, with the exception of your point about Clemson. Clemson, a one-loss Clemson team is definitely not a shoe-in over Oklahoma. A one-loss Clemson ACC champ is absolutely a shoe-in over Oklahoma, and I'm not. No way. Yeah. No way, because yes. the ACC is incredibly down this season, and if Oklahoma goes unbeaten the rest of the way, and with the caveat, if the defense does get better and looks a lot better, I think Oklahoma would have a pretty good argument over Clemson, especially 
with the fact that they have Kyler Murray and a much better quarterback than Clemson's true freshman quarterback. It does not matter at all. They will they will find any excuse in that scenario. There's no le- no. I think the, the the Jets are cooling on Clemson, especially after last year's poor performance against Alabama in the playoff. I mean, you can argue that. I mean, I, I agree that there would be a legitimate case. I mean, there would be an argument between those two teams. I'm just saying there are human beings on that committee, and I'm telling you there is literally no chance that Oklahoma goes over Clemson if they have the same record and are both conference champions. That's just. I think that's. I think no you're crazy to say there's chance. no chance. Because no at, chance. At this point, at this point, Clemson's loss won't be as good as. Oklahoma's lost perceived. You sure about that? Uh, we don't know that. Yeah. Yet. We don't know that. Yeah, yet. absolutely. Are you, I mean, at this point, at some right now, Texas is a top 10 team. I mean, they're not going to be a top 10 team at the end of the year, but uh, a loss to anybody that uh, a Clemson loss will be to somebody that won't even be like a top 25 team. Sure. At and any I'm, point. I, okay. My argument is, is that, is that the humans on that, on, on that committee are going to take Clemson no matter what in that scenario. But Why? Because because they've won a national championship in the last two years and they're Clemson, they're the second best program so? in college football right now, and I I agree that shouldn't matter, but it does when it comes to humans. No, I mean I think I think Oklahoma's a lot more fun and entertaining than Clemson, especially if the defense looks a lot better. I can That's assure you, I I can assure you that that is not that is not part of the criteria whatsoever at all. I bet isn't. it is. It's not. I bet it is. I mean, you've been hearing uh, you've been hearing guys like Joel Klatt say up up until this point that even if Clemson was unbeaten and Notre Dame was unbeaten, Notre Dame would easily be in over should easily be in over Clemson because Clemson's resume is just not very good. Granted, that's two unbeaten teams in that scenario, but yeah, if, if Oklahoma and, and Clemson have each have one loss, I think uh, there's certainly a, a, a chance, and I'd, I'd feel pretty pretty good about Oklahoma making it over Clemson if if the defense looks immeasurably better. Okay, well, you can be comfortable with that. You're dead wrong, but and you're how am I, how am I um, dead wrong? And also, let me let me call that out. Joel Klatt saying that an undefeated Clemson versus uh, versus an undefeated Notre Dame. Yeah, I'm sure Notre Dame would certainly have an argument there, but that's that's literally a scenario that cannot happen. There is there is no scenario where both Notre Dame and Clemson are undefeated, and that and that they are vying for a uh, for one spot in the college football playoff. That scenario literally is implausible. It can't happen. So that's that's a stupid thing to say, first of all. And um, why yeah, is that implausible? Well, just think about it. How there's only there's only three power five teams that have a chance to go undefeated. And if and one of those teams is Clemson. So if they go undefeated, they're automatically in in that in that scenario. And if Notre Dame goes undefeated, they're automatically in. If the, if the top four right now, if they all win oh, out, yeah, they're, okay. they're in. Uh yeah, I mean that was the argument a couple weeks back when there was more undefeated teams, and uh, it, there's a chance that there could be what five, like four or five teams that were unbeaten sure. at some point. And and, th- and this is why I put the caveat in the opening take about how you know there's still half the season left and and a lot can happen. I I feel I feel much more confident now about those those teams sans you know Alabama losing now than I did you know three or four weeks ago. Like Ohio State is very very clearly vulnerable. Um, and I, I think Clemson is vulnerable just because they have a true freshman quarterback um, who is going to turn in a true freshman quarterback performance at some point in time. But their schedule is just so garbage that I, I just I don't their defense is going to be able to get them through that in all likelihood. And so I the, the only other scenario, Lee, is that those teams is that is that the Big Ten champ and the ACC champ has two losses, which is not that's just not really feasible. So 
um, when you game it out and you're actually looking at realistic scenarios, um, assuming OU wins out, it's going to come down to Notre Dame and Notre Dame only. No, it's not, because Oklahoma's going to end up having more ranked wins on their schedule than Clemson would have, and you know that's a big thing with this committee, right? How many they did last, did, they did last year, too. Didn't matter. Clemson was still number one over OU. Uh, we, really? I don't remember that. You don't remember Clemson being the number one seed in the playoffs last year? Yeah, okay. Well, well, well okay. I'm looking at Clemson's schedule from last season. Clemson had one, two, three, four, five, six wins over top 25 teams, though. I mean, they had tons of top 25 wins. I mean, top, this year they... Top 25 at the time? Like, is that what you're looking at? Well, yeah. Because yeah, remember, I mean, that's last, what, that's what they count. remember last year with Clemson, their big thing was all of their wins over teams with a winning record, even though they had win, they had like, yeah, they had yeah. like five wins against like seven and five teams. Like that was the, yeah. they were, remember but I mean, at the time, I mean, they, they, they beat six ranked teams that were ranked at the time and Oklahoma had beat a ton too. But if you go to this year, I mean, they've, they've played zero ranked teams up to this point. Clemson zero yeah. until Texas, until this week when they play NC State. Oh, that's such a stupid metric though because Texas A and M is a good team and they're ranked right now. Yeah, yeah, that's the next that's the next best one. I mean, I mean in Syracuse. I mean, I know that they they might get they might give Syracuse or the Syracuse game they might get, get them, give them some slack because of the injury to uh, to to Lawrence. Anyways, it, it basically my Lee my argument basically is Clemson has been has been the number two program in college football for about four to five years now, barely being overshadowed by Alabama, and that the human element in that room, if it's between Clemson and Oklahoma, I am guaranteeing you Clemson will get that spot. Um, and, and I also want to quash any sort of talk about how, they'll, how ratings or entertainment factor into that. It doesn't factor in at all. It's a bad take. So you should drop that take. I, I think it's a bad take to say that you guarantee if Clemson and Oklahoma are both un, uh, have the same losses, one loss that Clemson's in. I think that's ridiculous considering that Oklahoma's going to have a better resume up to that point if that's the situation. Oh, we don't, again, we don't know caveat, that at all. We don't know that at all. Yeah, we do. Clemson's schedule is trash. People have, been t- people have been talking about Clemson's schedule. Granted, Oklahoma's schedule, for the most part, has been trash too. But it's back heavy right now. And... Uh, the fact that they also too that they'd have to play, you know, maybe a a top ten team, depending on if Texas plays well, or at least a top fifteen team in the Big Twelve title game. Uh, looks like Clemson in the ACC championship game. Who knows if they're ever going to play a team that's ranked in the top twenty five? It's because that the ACC is so bad. I I agree. I, just, I agree with you that of course it should be a discussion between the two. I my because pos- it will be. My my position my position is that it won't be. My position is that Clemson right. won't get that spot. Is is what I'm saying. All right. Well, you're incredibly confident in your position, and I'm incredibly confident in my position. So so base my 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 take is those top three teams right now: Alabama, Ohio State, and Clemson. Um, in order for them to be taken out of the picture, those three teams need to lose twice. Otherwise, right. well, otherwise, that's, otherwise, that's right. otherwise, I think with a conference championship, those three are absolutely getting in over Oklahoma, which leaves Notre Dame, which out of those three actually has the easiest schedule left out of those three. All right. Well, I don't think that's right, but uh, it's a good thing we have plenty of plenty of football left to watch. Yeah, a lot of football, a lot of football. So, I mean, we'll we'll see. I'm just as of as of right now, it's it's all about Notre Dame. That's the only team if, if you're watching and hoping for people to lose. That's the only team you should really pay attention to. Unless, of, of, of course, unless 
we get like a 2007-esque second half of the year where teams just start dropping like flies, I guess. Yeah. Which, that's that that's sure was... that's not going to happen. So, you can put that to bed. I mean, it might. I mean, I, I'm tired of, I'm, I'm kind of tired of this whole, like, oh, this is not going to happen. This is not gonna happen. I mean, there's a lot of teams that we didn't think was going to lose that lost this past weekend. And Notre Dame almost lost to a bad pit team, which just came out of nowhere. And Ohio State, even though the score didn't look like it, the Ohio State had a great chance of losing to Minnesota. So, and also, too, Alabama, if somehow Tua has a lingering injury or he can't play, I mean, Alabama's very vulnerable, too, if Tua can't play, obviously. Because uh, Jalen Hurts is such a huge step down. Such a huge step down. And uh, with, with LSU being a little bit feisty, that's interesting. That's interesting. Because Alabama's schedule has been garbage for the most part, too, minus uh, Texas A&M. Okay, as uh, I didn't anticipate all of that, I thought we'd get right into Mike Stoop stuff, but uh, here we are. We're going to go right into the Mike Stoop stuff. And as we record this episode, it's been a little over a week since Stoops got fired, and a ton of information has come out since then. Honestly, it's been difficult for me to decipher fact from fiction. Today, I want to establish a timeline of events so that we can put everything into perspective. Does that, I mean, Grant... It, for you, I mean, I guess I haven't talked to you really about this. I mean, th- doesn't it to you seem like all this information about Mike Stoops and, and the Texas game and him getting fired, there's like tons of things that have just kind of been floating around in the ether, but we're not really 100% sure about a lot of it. Does that seem fair to you? Yeah, that's fair. I mean, that's that's clearly what's happening. A lot of that has to do with them having a bye week right after it. Yeah, so we've had plenty of time to talk about it. There's nothing else yet. I mean, if there was a game last week, I mean, a lot of this stuff would have been whatever we would have talked more about the game so i agree with you on yeah, that yeah after 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 saturday against tcu this the whole mike stoop stuff is is not going to be mentioned really at all the rest of the season i'm yeah, i'm i'm, I'm I, fairly I confident of that so here's here's i mean i can't imagine we're going to really talk about it at all after this but i just want to establish again a timeline of events because i haven't seen a timeline of events reported by anybody or listed and maybe there has been i just i've missed it so if if there has been and I've missed, I apologize, but we're going to do it here on West of Everest. So first off, here are things that we know to be 100% fact. Saturday, October the 6th, Oklahoma loses to Texas 48-45. to The Longhorns score a season-high 48 points and gain a season-high 501 yards against the Sooners' defense. Sunday evening, James Hale was the first to report that Stoops had been fired. Then Monday morning, Oklahoma made it official with a release saying Stoops had been dismissed and Ruffin McNeil was taking over as defensive coordinator for the rest of the season. I think that ends the things that we know to be 100% fact. Okay, now let's get into what has been reported over the last week. And with each of these little things, I'm going to stop and let Grant and then and then me as well. We're going to give our thoughts on the validity of these reports. So let's start with this first one. John Hoover from the franchise in Oklahoma City and also the Sporting News wrote on Monday, October the 8th, one day after Stoops was fired, that multiple sources told him Riley fired Stoops with, quote, some pressure from above, end quote. Hoover also reported his sources told him the Texas loss, quote, became a tipping point for donors who were so aggravated by another stubble from Stoops' defense that some threatened to withhold future gifts if a change wasn't made, end quote. Now, for the record, I have not seen any other reports that Riley felt any pressure from above to make the decision to fire Stoops. There's also been a report from an Oklahoma beat reporter. <clears throat> There's also been a report from an Oklahoma beat reporter posted to a private message board 
basically saying that Lincoln Riley made the decision on his own. And that info from that OU beat reporter came from a very high up source within the OU program. I'm not going to give any more details on that report because the information is behind a paywall. And I don't think it's my place to give away that content for free here on this podcast. And also, additionally, Lincoln Riley said last Monday in his first public comment since Stoops was fired that firing Stoops was Lincoln Riley's decision. He said that it was his decision. So, Grant, this part of the story is something that you were very concerned about. You've said that people above Riley forcing his hand to fire Mike Stoops is not a good thing. So when it comes to the question, was there pressure from above on Lincoln Riley to fire Mike Stoops? I don't really think we know 100% the truth based on the information that we have. Is that fair to say? I think that's really fair to say. Um, and I was the, like, you know, last week, the the John Hoover report, that, that did concern me. You're absolutely right. And the more I've reflected on it, I can certainly see a lot more nuance in there. Um, I think it's fairly, I, I'm assuming here that one of Hoover's sources is probably a donor or, or a high or somebody up above who is kind of pulling strings a little bit. Um, and it, I mean, two things can be true at once in this scenario. There, there could have been donors who were who were aggravated and were pissed off and were like, "I'm not, I'm, I'm withholding my money until a change is made," and and Riley could have easily said, "Screw off, I don't care what you think," and he and maybe he was going to fire Mike Stoops anyway. So um, true, you know, there, true, I mean, that's, th- that's that's something that could have happened because I'm not. I typically I think when when someone like John Hoover, a reporter, if they report something like that, I tend to think that. It's true. I mean, he's putting his reputation out there on the, or at least he he's reporting um, exactly what he was told by someone that he trusts. Because I don't, otherwise, I don't think he would put it out there. Um, so I mean, there's lots of nuance. It, it could have their donors could have been really upset, and they 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 could have you know wanted Riley to make a move, but Riley could have been you know could have made the decision to make that move anyway without outside pressure as well. So. Um, I, I think that's that's the most likely scenario of what happened. The, the donors were pissed, but Riley was going to make the move anyway. And so that's just you that's, trying to piece together different pieces of information, different pieces, or different yes, reports. Yes. But at the same time, you know, we still, you, I mean, you don't know. I don't know. Uh, and the fact that there's two dueling, at least two um, reports that are basically Saying one saying that there was pressure, the other one saying there definitely wasn't. The fact that there's there's more than one, I think, makes it to where it's impossible for us to know 100% what happened unless we were there in the room or we were involved in this situation. The next thing. News 9 sports director Dean Blevins, which he is my boss. I'm saying that on this podcast probably for the millionth time, it's, it feels like. Dean reported Sunday night, October the 7th, that was the day that Stoops got fired, that a player nearly quit the team at halftime of the OU Texas game. And Dean also said that following the loss of Texas, Stoops actually offered his resignation to Lincoln Riley. Now, let's go through each of these reports one at a time. First off, Dean has never never reported anything publicly, to my knowledge, about, quote, a fight between Mike Stoops and Curtis Bolton in the locker room at halftime. However, Jim Traber, a radio talk show host on the Sports Animal in Oklahoma City, apparently reported last week that he had sources saying Stoops and Bolton had an altercation in the locker room. 
Aside from Traber, I haven't heard any other reports about an altercation or a fight in the locker room. Grant, have you? I haven't checked with you. Have you heard any other reports about no. this other than from Traber? No, I've only seen that uh, from Traber and then, of course, just random posters on message boards saying rumors and whatnot. All right. So, again, uh, Dean only reported that a player threatened to quit the team at halftime, never reported anything about a fight. Uh, and I will say Dean's the only person I've seen report that about a player threatening to quit. And for what it is worth, Curtis Bolton tweeted on Saturday evening, uh, the day of the Texas loss, so a few hours after the loss of Texas, Curtis Bolton tweeted, quote, I ain't ever quitting on this team. I think me being here for five years shows that. Leave all that rumor talk for the barbershop, end quote. So that's a Curtis Bolton tweet, just for the record. And now I, I, I say all this, it's significant because uh, there were tweets on Saturday during the game that Curtis Bolton left the locker room and walked out into the Texas State Fair at halftime. So that happened. Uh, so anyways, uh, back to the reported altercation between Stoops and Bolton at halftime from uh, Jim Traber. Now, Stoops talked to Dusty Dvorak last Wednesday, October the 10th, on The Sports Animal. And Dvorak asked about the reports that he fought with Bolton in the locker room. And Stoops said this, quote, Well, that's ludicrous. Number one, whoever would report such an erroneous situation and defame me and him is beyond ridiculousness. That hurts as well. For people to say there's just so much fake news out there that is just not getting it done. It was the right time to. Sorry, this this uh, this transcript I'm reading is a little off. It says um, it says quote that hurts as well for people to say. And then he trailed off and then went on to say, "There's just so much fake news out there that me just not getting it done. It was the right time to make a move. It's unfortunate, but there's another example of social media or people in the media who want to sensationalize all these things. I for once know how President Trump feels about fake news." Didn't say one word to Curtis at halftime. Didn't even know he left, Dusty. Didn't know until after the game. That's how crazy it is. Lincoln was upset, rightfully so, at our performance, and he did most of the talking. So that was all from Mike Stoops uh, denying any sort of altercation with Curtis Bolton. All right, keep following along. Then later in the day, Stoops called into Jim Traber's radio show and defended himself some more. And frankly, this is me editorializing. I thought it was a horrible back and forth between the two guys. Neither one of them provided many details to back up their stories. Stoops' main point was basically, I was there. And uh, he never provided any details about what he was doing at halftime and why this report that he and Bolton got into a fight was ludicrous. But on the flip side, Traber kept saying, quote, I don't want to fight with you, Mike. He just said that over and over and over again and didn't provide any details about what his sources told him about the altercation. So it was truly awful radio, in my opinion. And at the end, both guys were being very friendly to one another. So it's almost like they were kind of contentious, but then really they were kind of friendly at the end. So that's a lot of stuff there, Grant. Uh, we've got Mike Stoops saying this whole thing about a fight with Bolton is bogus. And then Jim Traber says it's not. Can we say for certain what happened here? No. Absolutely not. There is, there are two, there's a lot of different stories out there with zero corroboration whatsoever. I think the only thing that we've corroborated so far that I can say with quite a bit of certainty is that at some point in time, Curtis Bolton left the locker room at halftime. I think that's, yeah, the, I think I, that's, 
And yeah. and I think uh, I think Riley even pretty much confirmed that in his press conference last week, a week ago as well. Um, and he chalked it up to yeah, it's football. Crazy stuff happens in locker rooms at halftime all of the time, and mm-hmm. and it was just an emotional thing. And and that's actually that's that's something I accept that I accept that rationale and that um, and and him explaining it away like that. I, I think that is a very plausible thing to say in that scenario. Yeah, I do too. And uh, it's a, it's an emotional thing. And yeah, Riley did. He did. He uh, he basically. Hey, I mean, like I was fiery, and like your Mike Stoops said that Lincoln was really mad, and rightfully so because the defense was so poor. And um, but as far as uh, you know, the whole Traber Stoops things, uh, you know, one, it, it makes sense to take Mike Stoops at his word, but I just I can't get over how unconvincing he was when he was defending himself to Traber on the radio. I'm not sure. Did you get a chance to listen to that at all? It was like six or seven minutes long. Did you check it out? I haven't because after after okay. it happened, all I saw on Twitter was how awful it was. So in my head, I was like, "Oh, well, that's seven minutes that I don't need to waste it, in my life." It could have been it could have been really interesting, but it just wasn't. Now, like, and what what I mean, I, I say I, I can't get over how unconvincing Mike Stoops was. If it was me, and I knew that somebody was spreading false information about me that was damaging my character, as Mike Stoops uh, said a couple times to Jim Traber. I'd like to think that I'd be able to provide concrete examples and details to that person who's accusing me of something like that uh, as to why they're kind of full of crap. And Mike Stoops didn't do that when he talked to Traber. He just kept falling back on, well, I was there. And, you got, I mean, hey, 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 Jim, I was there. You know, and obviously Jim was not. So the fact that he didn't say anything specific is a bit troubling to me. But on the other side, I thought Traber was equally as bad defending his own position because constantly saying, I don't want to fight with you, Mike, is not a strong way for me to believe that you are actually confident in your sources. Simply put, each guy didn't do a very good job, in my opinion, of arguing their positions, which is a red flag and makes it to where I have no idea who to believe in this, in this scenario, which I guess kind of comes back to what, we were, what you were getting at, too, is that it's just we don't know. And then finally, the last thing, uh, the, the last thing that I want to go over when it comes to this Mike Stoops drama. Back to Dean's initial report that Stoops offered his resignation after the game. Now, Dvorak asked Stoops about this on the radio last week, and here was Dvorak's question to Stoops. And I'm going to read the I'm going to read the question to Mike Stoops because I think the question that Dusty asked is actually important. Dvorak asked, "Quote: There were reports that you'd given a letter of resignation on Saturday after the game. I'm guessing those were all just asinine assertions." And then. Stoops reply, quote, yeah, can you see me on a computer after the game typing out a letter of resignation? That sounds just like me, doesn't it, Dusty? You know me as well as anybody. That's absurd as well. Again, I don't know where people get their news. I don't know why they report such ridiculousness or why we can't handle this like grown men. Me and Lincoln and administration, that's what we ultimately did and did what's best for our program at this time. I'm sorry, but that's how it went down, end quote. So Stoops says he did not write a letter of resignation. There's just one problem with this whole thing. Dean never reported that Stoops had offered a letter of resignation. Dean just said that Stoops offered his resignation. Now, you might be thinking out there, okay, that's just semantics, so what? However, Dean reported more details about what happened after the game between Stoops and Riley a couple of days ago on the Oklahoma Ford Sports Blitz, and Dean's report was that Mike Stoops told Lincoln Riley after the game, quote, I'm sorry, if you need to make a change, I understand, end quote. Then Riley and Stoops hugged and said, quote, we'll talk tomorrow. 
Now, part of that moment between Riley and Stoops was reported by Barry Trammell of the Oklahoman just last week. Trammell reported that through a text conversation with Mike Stoops, Stoops said, quote, I told Lincoln I was so sorry after the game. We hugged each other, and I said, let's talk tomorrow, end quote. Now, again, that was Mike Stoops texting Barry Trammell. And you notice that the, quote, if you need to make a change, I understand, end quote, that part was not included in Stoops' text to Trammell. Grant, did you did you follow all of that? Yeah, I did. I thought that was a pretty right. good that's that's kind of exactly where we are. And um I don't know. I mean, do you want me to comment on what on what Mike Stoops said to Dusty Dvorak or You can comment on whatever you, you'd like. I, I realize it's kinda weird because I know I mean, Dean reported this and you know, I, I what's important to me is just to get everything out there in the open that that we that has been reported, uh, because I just I I'm just uh, I don't know where the the resignation letter stuff came from, uh, because I know Dean never reported the letter part. And again, I know it's semantics, but I think I think there's a there's a difference between offering a resignation and writing a resignation letter. And I'll get into that a little bit more here in a moment. But yeah, I'll, I'll let you. I'll let you comment however which way you feel. Well, that's that's kind of part of my point as well. And I'm not I I am not 100% going one way or the other on this. I will say though, Lee, that if I were a reporter and if it was my job to dig, you know, and get to the truth of things, and in this situation, I don't I don't it's not really relevant or necessary. Um however, there were some parts of the, of his interview with Dusty Dvorak that I thought uh, certainly it's fair to question Mike Stoops's credibility, you know, when he's talking about this stuff. One thing is that Dusty Dvorak, it certainly seemed like he was coaching Mike Stoops through that entire interview. So like we go back to this, um, the question that he asked, especially about the resignation. He said, there are reports that you'd given a letter of resignation on Saturday after the game. And then Dusty Dvorak adds, I'm guessing those were all just asinine assertions. And so that's, I mean, that's that's leading the person that you're questioning there. Right, um, right. And, and then, I mean, Dusty, he played for Mike Stoops. So exactly. So you expect there to be some friendliness. Exactly. And you know what? I really don't think any of this matters at all. Um, but I'm, <laughs> yeah. I, I really don't. But after after listening to that and reading and, and reflecting more on it, um, and, and I don't know. This is me just, this is just a feeling one way. Um, I, th- I think Dean's report is, is accurate, or I feel it's, it's probably accurate. Um, just because, and it's, I think it's the, uh, it's the resignation letter line that gives it away, I think. So, yeah, I mean, here are my thoughts on this. I Talking to Dean, I mean, Dean has been spending a lot of time on this for the last week. And, I mean, he, every time I see him at work, he's, it seems like he's, he's trying to, to get more information on, on all the stuff and going through resources. And, and in this particular part, for sure, with the resignation, he's incredibly confident in his sources on this one. And I don't know anything more than what Dean's actually reported publicly, but I will say this, and this kind of goes along the lines of, of what you were just talking about, Grant. I wish Dusty would have phrased the question to Stoops about the resignation differently. I just I wish Dusty would have not used the word letter, letter of resignation. I'm not again, I'm not sure where he got that because Dean never said there was a resignation letter written by Stoops. So I'm just curious what Stoops would have answered if Dusty hadn't said the word letter in the question in the lead up. You know, would would Stoops have just had the same exact answer adding the word letter himself or would he have simply had the same answer without using the word letter? I, I, I know this might, again, sound like I'm paying way too much attention to detail, but the letter part opens the door for a half truth from Mike Stoops. 
Of course he didn't sit down after the game and begin writing a letter of resignation. Of course he didn't. However, it's entirely possible that he verbally offered to step aside, as Dean reported. And again, my, my final, not again, but my final point on this is, again, somewhat similar to yours, is, uh, you know, the last week of all this has been described as a circus. And sure, I, I guess that's fair. But honestly, none of this matters at all to me right now. I mean, the most important thing is that Mike Stoops is no longer the defensive coordinator and Oklahoma's got six games left, hopefully more. I don't care if there was a fight at halftime or if there wasn't a fight at halftime. I don't care if Stoops offered his resignation or didn't do that. And right now, I honestly don't care if Riley was pressured into making the decision. Uh, Maybe down the road, I'll care more about that. But at the moment, I don't. All I care about is a new voice leading that Oklahoma defense And I hope along with the new voice comes a new philosophy that puts the players in better positions to succeed. That's where I stand right now with all of this stuff. And I think that's how I want to end it, unless you have anything else you'd like to add. No, I'm just going to revisit the point that I made about 10 minutes ago. That is, I, you know, I I think a lot of this was amplified because of the bye week. And that's the reason why we're still talking about it is because there's just there. Nothing has happened since then. It's still the, the main thing that's happened since and this program is being pretty tight-lipped about what's happening, and, you know, rightfully so. I can understand why they're doing that. So I, I think we just desperately need to get back onto the field and talk about something else. And I think I, I'm assuming a lot of the people in the fan base now you know, probably agree with that you know, as of now because as soon as, the, as, as soon as the game kicks off on Saturday, Lee, all of the, everything that happened with Mike Stoops, it doesn't matter anymore at all. It's just all about what they're mm-hmm. going to do in that game and the rest of the season. Um, and thankfully, that's that's what we're going to start talking about right now. Let's do it. Ruffin McNeil, he's the new defensive coordinator, has that interim tag. And uh, our last podcast, we talked briefly about about McNeil. Uh, we both like it. We both like that he got the interim tag. So the, a big question that everyone's been asking for the last week is, can the defense improve immediately? And uh, I suppose I'll, I'll let you feel that one and, and let you go whatever direction you, you'd like to go with that question. Sure, can it? Yeah, yeah. Why not? Um, I think there's some there's some tweaks that they can make right from the beginning that will help a lot. Um, Trey Brown being a starter would be one of them, and, and I don't I don't think that would make a massive massive difference, but that's at least one thing that you can do um, that's right in front of you that uh, to make the defense a little bit better. Um, there's been some things reportedly also as you know. Uh, I think last week by the football brainiacs, if you don't want me to step on you on that one, if you want to talk about that. Um, no, you can. Go ahead. Again, well, yeah, and so it, it does sound like, so this is what uh, Super K over at the football brainiacs, he reported this last week, uh, the last Wednesday, I think it was. So he did say that Trey, Blount, uh, Trey Brown has replaced Parnell Motley as the starting cornerback. Um, so it says, so based on today, Brown and Norwood are with the ones. Uh, if that is true, I don't know if it is. I don't have any sources within the program. If that is true, that is a positive development. Um, Parnell is just, he is, I, I think when he plays well, he's really, really good. Um, but when he's cold, he's, he's just, he's just a very inconsistent player and he's a liability out there when his confidence is shot and, um, you know, he's going to need more opportunities to, or he's, he's going to get less opportunities now, um, if he has in fact been replaced by Trey Brown, but he's got to get his mind right and he's got to be, he's got to be more consistent. Um, until then, I, I think it's it's certainly a positive that Trey Brown is has potentially replaced him. As well, there were some other things that that were also very significantly um, in the nickel package. It says the ones have been radically changed, or the, the first team nickel package has been radically changed. So um, 
it, it, this Lee this here says I'm reading it verbatim in the nickel package the ones are now Jordan Parker Buki and Robert Barnes with Buki at the nickel so I find that very interesting goodbye Khalil Hotton and Justin Broyles um, as first team in the nickel apparently <clears throat> and also it says I am told they did move to the even front a four-man front and that the defensive lineman they have added or inserted in there is Ronnie Perkins Lee that is by far the most encouraging sign in my opinion um or at least news that has potentially come about um I have the last couple weeks I have just ad nauseum talked about how a lot of their problems really do stem from that two gap uh or the the two gap scheme that they have uh in the front seven and that that needs to die in a fire as soon as humanly possible (laughs) And if they go to a four-man front, that is that's that's possible that they they might get rid of that two-gap um, scheme, and that would be big because that will allow the defensive linemen to attack and be athletes, which is all they're doing now is catching blocks, um, and just trying not to get blown off the line, um, and and really to run that defense, you need NFL players dotting your front, and and the Sooners just really don't have elite NFL players up there, so it's it's just it's not a great front, so. I'm hoping that this this move to the four man front is true, and I'm hoping that that uh, Ruffin McNeil is going to unleash his defensive linemen so that they can attack up field. Because, and I've been saying this now since for the last month, Oklahoma's run defense has been atrocious this season, and it, and it was atrocious. Even though the numbers don't really yes. bear that out, though, and which it was kind of interesting. Yes. And it was atrocious when everyone was saying that it was improved and they had been doing well. It, it's been it's been bad all season long. It's a different kind of atrocious. It's an atrocious because it consistently gives up yardage on every single play, three, four yards. It's not like it's getting gashed for 11 yards here, 13 yards here, 37 yards here. But it's, it's, it's atrocious in the sense that it's, there's always positive plays by the offense. Is that, is that what you've been seeing or is that what yes, you mean? Yes, exactly. Yeah, they um, typically... Typically, running backs were able to get through the defensive line fairly easily, and it's you know about two or three yards downfield is when the linebackers are finally able to sort of catch up, and then by then they're they're usually being dragged a yard or two past. Then um, there, there's just been no penetration in the backfield whatsoever. Um, make they're honestly just making it really easy on opposing offenses. Go back and watch the Texas game. Texas just had. It, they were basically handing the ball off and falling forward for three or four yards every game. Watch them against Baylor this past week and watch Baylor attack the line of scrimmage to stop the run. Yeah, I watched that Baylor defense uh, limit Texas much. And yeah, I know that Sam Ellinger didn't play most of the game, but still, it doesn't matter. It It's still the, I mean... Really, Shane Bouchelle and Sam Ellinger, there's not, there's a drop-off, but there's not a massive drop-off between the two, in my opinion. And just to quickly go back, the, those, uh, those notes that Grant was saying about practice and positions, uh, big hat tip to the football brainiacs. We took that uh, from their website. It's, it's, it's on their website. You can, it's for free. It's public. It's one of their open posts. It's a website I, I like to check here and there. And uh, this is by far, you know, if, again, I suppose uh, – We'll have to wait and see uh, until Saturday if, if this stuff is actually 100% true. But uh, from what I've read from Super K at the Football Brainiacs, I don't recall really anything that I've seen reported by him that has turned out to be false or, or blatantly false. So 
I'd like to think that uh, this is some good information that he's gotten. But then again, I guess taking to take into account also, Grant, that this stuff came out early on in the practice week last week during the bye week. So who knows what will what will change between, you know, last Tuesday and Wednesday. I mean, 10 plus days until uh, you know, it'll be about 10 plus days from this report to the actual TCU game. So I guess that's needs to be taken into account as well. As far as the the Oklahoma defense, my you know, can it improve immediately? My answer to that question is I say yes for two reasons. One of my reasons is incredibly hacky, I will admit. The other one actually uh, is, is backed by data, and I'll give my data-backed reason first. And if you follow me on Twitter, you, you may have seen this thread that I posted a, a day or two ago. It's about Ruffin McNeil and the 2007 Texas Tech Red Raiders when he took over on an interim basis for Tech. In 2007, after McNeil was given the interim D.C. job, the Red Raiders defense held six of eight FBS opponents below their season average in yards per play. This season, Oklahoma has held three of six FBS opponents below their season yards per play average. Tech's three biggest tests that year in 2007 came against Missouri. Of course, Chase Daniel was the quarterback. Very good. Texas, Colt McCoy awesome at texas and then against oklahoma sam bradford and then of course if you all remember joey halsley came in because bradford got injured now tech's worst defensive games of that season were against missouri and texas so against chase daniel and against colt mccoy but each team gained near their season average in yards per play which uh not which so both missouri and texas were near their season average yards play and actually have the numbers here now that we're not on Twitter, I can actually I can actually uh, have more characters. So uh, that season, Missouri was averaging 5.9 yards per play, and they averaged six yards per play against Tech. So just 0.1 yards per play more. And for Texas, it was flipped. Texas was averaging six yards per play that year, and against Texas, Tech allowed 5.9. So it's not like uh, Texas was averaging you know six yards per play and, and just steamrolled Tech's defense and, and averaged seven yards per play I mean they kept them right around what their average average was okay I mean it's not not great but it's it's not them getting absolutely roughed up and, and also the game against Oklahoma that was one of their their best games they held Oklahoma uh, well below the Sooners season average uh, that season and Oklahoma was averaging 6.4 yards per play the Sooners only managed 5.1 yards per play facing Ruffin McNeil's Texas Tech defense late in the season that year. Furthermore, when Tech played against offenses that were average to below average, the Tech defense mostly thrived, holding Iowa State, Texas A&M, Colorado, and Baylor all below their season average in yards per play. Now, Tech went 3-1 and one in those games, and the only loss came to Colorado in a contest where Graham Harrell threw a pick six. By the way, I going back to that 2007 season, Graham Harrell threw three pick sixes that year. It's a lot of pick sixes. Uh, anyways, uh, meanwhile, Iowa State this season has averaged 5.5 yards per play, and Texas has averaged 5.3 yards per play. Both of those teams easily surpassed their season averages against Oklahoma in 2018 the cyclones 6.8 yards per play was zeb nolan in week three and that was a week after they or uh, had, had they even yeah they'd played iowa and they couldn't do anything against iowa and then texas gained 6.6 yards per play in week six those numbers are just unacceptable they're ridiculous point being ruffin mcneil's 2007 texas tech defense 
did not let bad offenses look like good offenses. And even when Tech played against a good offense, those teams didn't have big-time career days against Ruffin McNeil's defense on a yard yards per play basis. Now, Oklahoma in 2018 has let two mediocre offenses at the time look elite. And I say at the time because Iowa State's offense has gotten measurably better now with Brock Purdy in. Uh, Texas's offense is still Texas's offense. So uh, the next six games for Oklahoma includes three mediocre to bad offenses, TCU, Kansas State, Kansas, and some above average to elite offenses, Texas Tech, Oklahoma State, West Virginia. So, I mean, it'll be it'll be interesting to see if McNeil's 2007 success correlates to OU success in 2018 for the rest of the year. And I know that was a lot of stuff. I'll just quickly get to my hacky reason why. Also, it's a yes. I think the defense can improve. I just believe that Mike Stoops, he's lost. He, he lost it. He just he, he kind of lost it on defense. I, his defense just kept doing the same things over and over and over again, hoping for different results. And with him being gone now, I think there's nowhere to go but up. But I will say my biggest fear is Oklahoma's philosophy on defense, if it stays the same, then it's not going to matter. Uh, it, it's not going to matter that Soups is gone. But fortunately, it sounds like Ruffin McNeil will want to just, just kind of super simplify everything. He talked about that in his first availability last week. Uh, and also, to some of those notes from Super Kate, the Brainiacs, if they're going to the, the even man front and they're making some position changes, you know, that's some positive signs, if true. So in turn, all of that stuff, it just makes me hope and hope and hope that it allows all 11 on defense to go out there, fly around, and just make some plays. I would probably, right, or at least it's trending in this direction, <laughs> that Oklahoma State is probably part of that mediocre to bad offenses as well. I, trending. It might be. It's They have the, the reason, the reason I would, the reason I would include them, though, in, in the, the good above average elite is because against Oklahoma's defense, I mean, we don't know if it's going to be better against Oklahoma's defense. That's going to end up being uh, really good to elite offense. Sure. If Oklahoma's defense sure. is the same. I guess that's my point. Uh, okay, so a big, a big thing also the last week, and not just this last week, but all season has been tackling, Grant. Like, Oklahoma can't tackle. I mean, heck, I mean, Mike Stoops not out there making tackles. He's not in charge of tackling. So, I mean, just because Mike Stoops is gone doesn't mean Oklahoma can tackle. Uh, what are your thoughts on tackling? Is is okay? So there's two takes. There's one of where I've heard a lot from a lot of people. Uh, Oklahoma can't tackle. I mean, Mike Stoops being gone doesn't change that. Or two, my thoughts, which I'll get to, is that I have a theory that Oklahoma's defensive players were just constantly overthinking things that it affected them negatively on the field. Kind of the you know the old saying, paralysis by analysis. Like if Ruffin McNeil just simplifies everything, like he I've that sounds like he wants to do and the overthinking stops I think that will in turn immediately improve tackling on the field because confidence and trust in what you're doing on each play will lead to confidence and trust to make a tackle so I my thoughts on the take of like oh Oklahoma still can't tackle how are they going to fix that I don't necessarily buy into that because I, I do think that there's a there's a scenario where simplifying the defense will actually improve tackling. Where do you fall on this whole tackling issue? Well, I mean, obviously it's a huge issue. They're a terrible tackling team, an atrocious tackling team. And so I I certainly share your thoughts and in, in hoping that simplifying everything will will allow them to uh to to play quicker and 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 not have to think as much. 
However, I mean, the things that I see on tape, Lee, are just are, are clear fundamental issues with tackling. And I don't know if how, how quickly that can be rectified, you know, in two weeks or by not thinking a lot. They, they just don't, they're not properly taught how to tackle. I, I don't think. It, that's, what it, that's what it looks All like right. on tape. So uh, basically, I'm hoping that they, they rally tackle a lot more now because I, I don't, one-on-one tackling, I think it can marginally improve. I just, I, I don't really see a massive improvement there. I just, I don't know if it's realistic. All right. I guess we'll see. Let's get into the game, uh, the game breakdown now. And uh, we'll start with the TCU offense is a the natural transition. Still talking about the Oklahoma defense. So TCU's offense against the Oklahoma defense. You got Sean Robinson in there at quarterback. You got this TCU offense, which has been struggling this season. Didn't look like they struggled much against Ohio State, you know, a few weeks back. But ever since that game, TCU has not been able to move the football very well and has, has not been able to score very many points, Grant. Uh, so I have some questions here about TCU's offense. But I'll, I'll just before I get to the questions, I'll just open it up to you. Do you have any general thoughts about TCU's offense that you'd like to share before we get to these questions? Sure. I'll just, I, I, I have watched quite a bit of TCU this year. Um, they're just kind of always on and I always watch them. Um, and, and also I, I went back and rewatched the TCU Texas game as well, a little more closely. Um, I watched, I watched an entirety of their game against Texas tech last week as well. Uh, Lee, their, their offense basically goes as Sean Robinson goes. Um, and he's, you know, he's very Jekyll and Hyde. Um, you know, he, he appears to be a, ver- a pretty inaccurate passer. Let just just to go out and say he's he's not very accurate, but at the same time, he sometimes will just drop absolute dimes. Kind of like it sort of reminded me of the uh, uh, the quarterback from UCLA that they played. Uh, they their their skill sets are very similar. I'm, his name is escaping me right now. Uh, Dorian um, Thompson Robinson, I think. Dorian Thompson Robinson. Yes, they're very similar players actually. So um, you know, other than that, Lee. When you watch TCU's offense and if you watch the entirety of their games, it's fairly obvious that turnovers have just crippled them. They turn it over a ton. Um, in fact, and that, that's not just that's not just saying it. Or uh, there's stats to back it up, Lee. And I'll break out my S and P. Lee, TCU is dead last in the country in expected turnover margin, which means they are the worst team in the country uh, in terms of of taking care of the ball on offense. If Oklahoma cannot turn TCU over, they can't turn anybody over. It's that simple. <laughs> They just they and and it's not like they're they're bad turnovers too like they're they're legitimately just bad decisions by Sean Robinson he also fumbles a lot um, TCU is they've turned it over so many times um, and and it's going to be really disappointing if the Sooners can't get them at least twice on Saturday yeah TCU has one of the worst turnover margins in all of college football their turnover margin is minus nine only North Carolina UConn and Rutgers have worse turnover margins than TCU. All those teams have only won one game. Uh, I got that note from the Fort Worth Star-Telegram, so kudos to them. That was my my big note on the TCU offense, is turnovers have been deadly, and they were specifically deadly against Texas Tech last week. I think they turned it over. It was definitely two times in the red zone, if not three times in the red zone against Texas Tech. I mean, that was at home in Fort Worth. And uh, yeah, it's it's Sean Robinson. He threw a bad pick, you know, fumbling. Um, just you know, fumbles sometimes are their luck. But man, whenever you turn the ball over as much as TCU has, it's it becomes a trend. And I mean, he had he had two. You could blame Sean Robinson really for the loss to Texas. I mean, he had back to back turnovers on consecutive possessions that just destroyed TCU's chances in that game. 
The second of which was a horrible interception that ended up leading to a, a Texas touchdown that gave him, I think, an eight-point lead. So this guy's had trouble, and, and he's the reason why I wasn't very high on TCU going in this year because I just didn't think he was very good. Granted, he's a sophomore. When I watch him on tape, he comes off to me as somebody who, yeah, he's he's raw, he's young, he does have flashes, and he looks like somebody that will, will definitely be a lot better next season, but right now he's not very good. And, I mean, he's he's a guy that I guess we can get into our questions, you know, how – I guess we'll, we'll skip to the the, prefer, the bottom question first. You know, how should Oklahoma defend TCU? I'm going to say that a lot of the same stuff I said last week or two weeks ago with Texas is heat up Sean Robinson, put some pressure on him, force him into doing something he doesn't want to do. They couldn't do that or they didn't do that to Sam Ellinger. Sean Robinson, is he gets happy feet. Uh, if, if it's not there, he wants to run right away. So he's got some good legs. He, he, can, make, he can make moves on the ground. So it, there is some concern that if you do blitz the guy, he might – break contain and pick up some yards on you so then you throw in the idea of maybe a spy but yeah i mean just try to be uh, as aggressive as possible smart simple no need to be super complicated which i don't think they're going to be especially in the first game with Ruffin mcneil and just go out there and attack this tcu offense that's frankly not very good and it's only averaging 15 points a game in big 12 play uh grant how do you think oklahoma should defend tcu well, I, I don't know if I'll. It's I, I just I don't know what we're gonna see just with all of the changes. Um, so really, yeah, I mean, if if I had a if I had if I knew I had an experienced sound defense, I probably would I probably wouldn't be as aggressive attacking TCU as I would other teams, just because I don't think TCU can can go down the field without turning it over. To be honest with you, okay. Um, right. I, I would like I'm in my mind. If I really dug into it and was was a coach game planning, um, I, I might change my tune. But at the same time, it's just TCU Lee. Really, that is their big hang up on offense. I look through all of sort of the peripheral numbers, and Lee, they're ninety fourth in offensive S and P. That's terrible. That's in the bottom third of the country. Um, but I look through kind of all of their peripherals on offense, and all of them are sort of actually just like middle of the pack. They're not bad. It's just those turnovers. They're tur- They've turned the ball over so much this year that it's it's crippled their offense. And so if I'm a defensive coordinator, I'm thinking, man, I kind of want Sean Robinson to be on the field as much as possible because so, he'll make more mistakes um, or at least force him to, to be perfect down the field. I can definitely see that coming. But also, I mean, you, you, you want to put pressure on him. When he, gets, uh, when, he, when he has pressure on him, he, he, he makes a lot of mistakes. Just simple as that. So it's going to be interesting for surely. And so you you also usually pose the question where you know where could TCU pose a problem for OU's D yep. and I have written here they have warm bodies on offense so therefore they're a problem for Oklahoma's <laughs> defense. Um, and so I I just I don't know how what Oklahoma is going to run out there in terms of scheme. All we can go on is what we've seen so far. And Lee TCU does a lot of stuff on offense that could potentially give Oklahoma some problems. Um, just to name a few off. They, they run a lot of double moves on the outside with Jalen Rager and, and Kevontae Turpin. Uh, Parnell Motley has had, has, has had tendencies to bite on those in the past. It appears he may not be starting on Saturday, so that, that could be alleviated some bit. Um, they're really going to really test OU's ability to tackle, Lee, right from the beginning. Uh, like kind of your typical air raid offense, a lot of swing passes, a lot of quick passes designed to give their playmakers an opportunity in space. And Oklahoma has not particularly tackled well in those scenarios this season. So we'll see if 
We'll see if they these last two weeks they've they've corrected that. Also, Lee, um, what does you know going through the peripherals on offense? What does TCU actually do well? Well, they run the ball actually pretty well, Lee, on a play-by-play basis. They're 13th in rushing S&P efficiency. Um, and this concerns me because, as, I, as, as I've mentioned, OU's run defense this year has been dreadful. They are 92nd in run defense S&P. That's OU. They're 105th in stuff rate, which means those are just tackles at the line of scrimmage or behind the line of scrimmage. And, Lee, they're 124th in the country on a third and medium success rate and they're 122nd in the country on third and short success rate on offense. That's terrible. That means your front seven's getting pushed around. That's what that means. Hmm. Um, so I, I don't know. We we're we're going to need to see an overhaul in philosophy and scheme. I think if they're going to stop the run this season, um, and if I'm TCU watching tape, and I'm seeing the defense that Oklahoma has put on tape the first six games of the season. I'm coming into this game running the ball down their throats. That's all I'm doing on first and second down, trying to get into third and short. Um, because, Lee, as, as I saw on tape, TCU really, really struggles when they're in third and long. If you get them behind the chains, you know, a lot like a ton of really mediocre offenses, yeah. <laughs> they're, they're not going to be able to drive the ball down the field at all. And, and that's been the problem. OU has been legitimately one of the worst teams in all of college football this season. That's not even adjusted stats. These are raw numbers. They've been one of the worst teams in all of college football on first and second down this season. They've just been really, really bad on those downs. A couple of things I'd add to TCU really likes to go up tempo. And I noticed in all their games, it seems like Ohio State, Texas, Iowa State, uh, Tech, I mean, especially that first drive. I mean, they like to get out there and immediately just go tempo, tempo, tempo. East and west, swing passes, hand it off to the running back of the middle. Uh, and just you know, simple plays, but just getting you maybe on your heels and forcing you to make tackles. So watch for the tempo. And also, it, it just – and this is not that surprising, but they try to – they try to limit Sean Robinson's – downfield pass attempts I could tell if he throws the ball down the field normally it's some sort of like fade where it's just like all right you got Jalen Rager on the outside just Sean just throw it up to him and hope for the best or you know at the worst case scenario maybe they'll they'll have like a deep post or something like that where they'll have the guy pump or they'll run a double move or something like that but you could really tell they're trying to to protect him on throwing the ball down the field because he's not very accurate he likes to throw the football near the line of scrimmage a lot so that's something uh, to keep in mind, too, is that uh, there could be some opportunities for the corners to just make some plays on just simple nine routes, simple fade routes, because they like to throw them quite a bit. And I've seen Jalen Rager make some ridiculous catches this year whenever Robinson's kind of just dropped the ball in there out of nowhere where it was almost indefensible. God, I wish that guy was in a Sooner uniform. He's good. Yeah. He's good, man. Also, too, I'm pretty sure. Rager. Yeah, yeah. Also, too, of all the games I've watched – I think I've seen Cavante Turpin get just absolutely decleated at least once or twice in every one of them. The guy just, it seems like he gets just laid out at least once a game. Just, it, I don't know if you've noticed that, but I noticed he got laid out against Texas, actually twice. He got laid out against uh, Iowa State, I think, probably Ohio State as well. I just, I don't think Oklahoma has anybody that can lay him out because they're not tackling anybody right now, but I just, I feel bad for that guy. He's just so little and. He's so fast, but for whatever reason, it seems like he just gets crushed every once in a while. So, uh, But he gets back up. He's been healthy. Let's see. They've had some... And yeah, Lee, to, uh, 
sorry, I just I, I want to just kind of add on to what you said there about them not really throwing the ball downfield with Sean Robinson a lot. Uh, the, the numbers bear that out as well. They're 99th in the country in ISO PPP, which is, which is the stat for creating explosive plays. They're 99th in the country in explosive plays on offense. God. So that would and that's and, and that's even with like a Darius Anderson ninety five yard touchdown run this yeah. season as well. So they're they're not particularly explosive. They have had uh some recent injuries on the offensive line as well. Uh their left guard missed his second straight game against Tech. I guess Gary Patterson called that a big loss. Not sure what his status is going to be for the OU game and also their left tackle Austin Myers apparently missed a lot of a lot of snaps at the end of the Texas Tech game so who knows about that so I mean maybe there's some issues on the the offensive line injury wise and did you did you mention a, a bit ago that the offensive line was really bad on third and short or, and those so maybe they're just not getting a push maybe the offensive line there just isn't very good so that could be a, a positive for Oklahoma yeah. Um, statistics, uh, stats wise, though, they're they're pretty good at protecting Robinson, though. They're right. eighth in the country and in, in, in sack rate. Um, they only give up a sack 2.4 percent of the time, which is eighth in the country. So I, I don't know how much of that has to do with with them just, you know, providing a clean po- pocket for Sean Robinson or if a lot of that is just Robinson being able to scramble. I'm not sure. Um, but I didn't really I on tape their offensive line mostly sort of popped in when they were running the ball when in pass protection they weren't as they were not as uh as impressive I thought they were pretty pretty impressive running the ball for the most part they just Um, they look so much different against Ohio State though compared to the other games you know it's just it was I mean yeah it makes sense I mean they got up for Ohio State sure but man I mean it's a yeah they just look different on offense than they do now didn't mean to cut you off. Sorry. Did you have more to add? No. Okay. Uh, just, just. I mean, they're. Th- this is a team that. Uh, this is a team that they can run the ball. They're, they're, they're good at yeah. running the ball. And so Darius Anderson's a talented back. Um, and based off what we've seen the first six weeks, I'm, I'm concerned with Oklahoma's ability to stop Darius Anderson. Yeah. To be honest with you. That's fair. So, well, um, I. It's. It's a legitimate concern as well. Um, we'll we'll see exactly where they are after the firing of Mike Stoops here because I, I think I think TCU is going to come at them. Um, they're going to try to attack every single weakness that they've put on film the last the last month or, or two of the season, Lee, for sure. Because why? I mean, why wouldn't they? Let's transition and talk about the best offense in college football and one of the best players in college football, Kyler Murray, and just everybody. And this whole side of the football where Oklahoma is so awesome yet we've basically just ignored it for the last couple of weeks because the defense is so bad. And we just we all take for granted, it seems like, how amazing this Oklahoma offense has been. And actually, let's begin with something that you brought up to me after our, our last couple podcasts, uh, after the OU Texas game, because of course the story was the defense not being good and the whole Mike Stoops thing. But also... The offense was was fantastic, which we, we briefly touched on. But then you brought up to me after the show that we didn't even talk about how well Oklahoma ran the football against Texas. So do you want to jump in and talk about that? Because, I mean, Oklahoma ran the ball well against Texas. Yeah, I mean, that was one of the more underrated storylines that we didn't talk about because Mike Stoops being fired sort of overshadowed everything. The offensive line played their best game of the season, I thought, up to that point against a really talented Texas front seven. So I, I mean I I'm really looking forward to maybe the offensive line building on that game because they were great. Um, I mean they they ran like for eight yards per carry, and that's that's good. 
Um, and they were also very successful. Like they were efficient running the ball as well. They weren't getting they weren't getting stuffed behind the line a lot. I think they had over a sixty percent success rate in that game on runs, which is phenomenally good um, against a, against a Texas defense that can stop the run a little bit. So um, just yeah, I, I wanted to throw that out there to you because the offensive line was was legitimately great against Texas. Seven point two yards per carry, not eight. Don't overhype this offense, Grant. Um, do you, you you're you're counting sack yardage in there, which I don't I don't count that. I'm just counting what the the box score says. Yeah, I know, but that's it's it's stupid to count sack yardage on the on the rushing total. Oh. That needs to be changed in college football like immediately. It's dumb. <laughs> immediately. Uh, so yeah, that's what was pr- that's that's what was propping up Oklahoma's r- rushing defense numbers in the first three games of the season. They were they were sacking the quarterback a lot in those games. Hmm. Huh. And it didn't. It, it it covered up how how atrocious their run defense had oh, been. Interesting. But I but I digress. And also too, Kyler Murray had that sixty-seven yard run, which definitely helped out the average though too. So you well, kind yeah, of have. Of course, that helps. <laughs> sure. Which was a, a non-on schedule play. Actually, that was a designed quarterback run, I believe. Actually, not. That was definitely yeah. designed. So I yeah, guess that was designed. Was. So the running game was great. Uh, the, one of our listeners on Facebook mentioned in uh, you know one of the. We asked, you know, what do you want to talk about this week? And one of the questions or one of the guys who brought up was Kennedy Brooks. And Kennedy Brooks is is somebody that I would sure like to see get more touches. I thought he looked very good against Texas. Uh, I suppose. All right. Not, not I suppose. <coughs> Excuse me. Brooks, uh, I guess he had, what, one bad play against Texas that – that kind of hurt him, and he didn't play a whole lot after that. I don't, and you told me about that. I didn't notice that. Um, but anyways, moving forward, especially this game after the bye week, is Kennedy Brooks is is, is this going to be the week where he gets more looks? Is he's starting to get some looks, but still not a whole lot. Yeah, I don't know. So that's actually part of my "What do you want to see happen?" segment. I was going to say I'd I'd like to see Kennedy Brooks have the opportunity to get you know at least ten touches in this game, and so. Yeah, oh, okay. I, I would like to see more of Kennedy Brooks. My my point that I made to you last week, and we did this off air, and I, I mostly said that with, with all of the people clamoring for maybe for Kennedy Brooks to start over Trey Sermon, and my, my assertion was that's that's bananas at this point in time. And and look no look no further than the play that Kennedy Brooks screwed up um, in the second quarter right before halftime. It was that drive where they had to have a bunch of fourth down conversions at the end, Lee. Um, Kennedy Brooks' mistake on that drive on that option play almost derailed that entire drive and that's why he's not playing he probably he probably just does not know the playbook very well um and I, I'm assuming because he's a freshman he probably struggles in pass protection as well I think it's I I agree that Trey Sermon is is better used as as a change of pace guy in the second half but to say that Kennedy Brooks should be starting over him right now is that that's just not something I'm, I'm willing to go as far as as to say because there's just so much more nuance that goes into it yeah, I, for me, God, what was I going to say about? Oh yeah, in in uh, talking about this game against TCU, watching TCU's defense because they are now we're on TCU defense versus Oklahoma offense. It's it's hard for me to see uh, Trey Sermon having like a ton of success against this TCU defense because man, these Horn Frog defenders are fast, like normal. They're always fast, and they rally to the football. And they're going to be able to get get to Sermon and bring him down. Whereas I think Kennedy Brooks provides a little bit more of a little boost, a little bit of juice. And I think he he's going to be needed for the Oklahoma running game to have ultimate success in this game, just because his his speed factor 
And uh, just, I mean, watching TCU, I mean, TCU, again, is good against the run. That's what they do. I mean, the defense, you know, I, I was, as I watched more film, I started thinking, man, this defense actually, it's still as good. And honestly, going into it, I didn't think that much of TCU's defense. But I think, yeah, Brooks is going to need to get some touches because I think uh, Trey Sermon, he'll have, I mean, he'll have some success. Oklahoma always has success, seemingly, with the run. But I just, I could see him plodding along and getting caught and tackled. And I can see Brooks hitting some holes quicker and making a little bit more explosive plays in the run game. And just speaking about this game specifically, so that's that's why I'd like to see him get more touches in this one. Sure, yeah. I, I, I don't disagree really with any of that. Um, I guess we'll just see what happens. I, I find it interesting, um, the comment you made about TCU's defense being really fast. And, and they are. I mean, it's a fat, It's not a slow defense by any stretch of the imagination. Um, but I... Their their defense lead they don't they don't pop at me like their defense last year did they just don't have as many guys that that stand out to you as just like whoa that guy is just like really good, um, Banigou, uh is is a lot more invisible than he was last year in my opinion in, in the games that I've watched the two guys that really lead that that pop out to me the most when I'm watching tape is one their best player on defense is is Ennis Gaines their safety he's their best player um, and he uh, he and, left and two, he left the Tech yeah. game in the second half with an injury so. Yep. Yeah. Yep. And so his status is we, we're not sure. I don't, I don't I haven't seen anything about him this week, but if he if he can't play, that's a massive blow uh, for TCU. And then also Lee, another guy um, and he, he really flashed during the Texas Tech game. But that was LJ Collier defensive end. Yeah. Collier. He's um, good. Yeah. Pro football focus has him as one of the best DNs in the Big 12 so far this year. Yeah. 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 And so, you know, but other than that, I, you know, TCU's defense, like I said, they didn't really pop at me like like last year's defense did I, I think it's a good defense I think it's a really good defense but I, I think after watching them a little more I think I lean more towards I, I think Iowa State and Texas are better on defense actually um okay so that was my so question I'm, too because we talked about how the Texas defense was probably the best Oklahoma had faced up to that point now we got TCU always has a good defense you know where does that rank and I, I mean, now that we, I mean, we all, you and I, we've known Iowa State's got a good defense for some time. It, it seems like some people are just now kind of really figuring that out for whatever reason. Uh, but yeah, I, it's a good. I mean, it's a good thing Oklahoma's not facing the Iowa State defense now later in the year because it, it certainly seems like it's getting better. But yeah, I, I don't know where I'd rank. I, it's just it's so hard to judge these defenses. They're all though, really because close. Oklahoma's, They're all really close. Let's, uh, you know what? After this week. Let's make our call because then we'll we'll have seen all three of those defenses go against Oklahoma's offense, and so far Iowa State had more success than Texas did. Uh, even though I guess you could argue that Texas, for the most part in that game, actually had pretty good success, and the fourth quarter was uh, kind of crazy. So I mean, Texas did have quite a bit of success, and then Oklahoma just exploded on them in the fourth quarter. Uh, Iowa State had pretty good success as well, ish. I mean, by the standard of having success against Oklahoma's offense. So yeah, we'll see what, what TCU can do, and, and then maybe at that point we'll yeah, we'll, I don't, we'll judge them. I would disagree with you in the in the assertion that Texas's defense had success against OU. Um, they they didn't. OU had a sixty percent success rate in that game. They OU shredded Texas well, in the in sense that, that in the fourth quarter um, Oklahoma only had twenty four points at one point with ten yeah, minutes to play. Oklahoma. Oklahoma had a had a very below average third quarter, and that's what can happen if you're a Texas defense that is really aggressive. They they got stops when they needed to on Oklahoma. They they were able to be super aggressive, and they got those one or two stops that they needed to pull away. And that's 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 exactly sort of the the philosophy that I've been I've been saying now for over a year about how 
hey, you know, even if you're even if you're going up against an offense that's a lot better than you, hell, man, if you're just if you're ultra aggressive, maybe you can get them off the field a few times and break serve. That's what happened in the third quarter with Oklahoma, and then and then things went back to normal in the fourth quarter where they just they. They went up and down the field on Texas like it was yeah. nothing. So, um, <laughs> just huge chunk. Yeah, I, I think. Yeah, yeah, and so I think. Um, I, I think Iowa State, their defense, they're just so sound on defense, and they also have um, their their defensive linemen are also really underrated. They got some guys who can really play up front. Um, oh yeah, and you know I think I, I think Texas just has 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 just a lot of young really talented players around their defense as well so um back to tcu though lee I'll, I'll i'll just bring up my numbers here really quickly um per s&p tcu is the best defense in the big 12 they're 14th in, in defensive s&p um but i'm going through the peripherals uh, their, their peripheral stats lee and you know per s&p they're really not elite on defense and really anything but they're merely good at pretty much everything uh they're they're between 15th and 40th and pretty much every single peripheral defensive stat. Um, last year, Lee, their biggest blind spot on defense was allowing explosive plays, and it looks like they, they have cleaned that up a little bit this year. I think last year they finished like 90th in the country in preventing explosive plays. Uh, they're 43rd this year. Um, and so uh, does, does TCU have a weakness on defense? Well, they are 73rd in the country, Lee, in preventing explosive uh, passing plays. So Which there, there might they be gave the up opening two there. Huge and if, explosive plays against Texas Tech last Thursday. Yep, yep, yep. And if Ennis Gaines is not playing, that is going to uh, that's going to hamper them, you know, even more on that that level of the defense. So anytimely, I see anything like that or, or a team that's susceptible to explosive plays in the passing game. Um, you know, I you you just know Marquise Brown's licking his chops. And another secondary player. Nico Small, he did not play against Texas Tech as well last week. That was the second game in a row that he had missed. So I have not heard any more updates on his status. So I guess if he missed two games in a row against Te- uh, for TCU, maybe his status for Saturday is uncertain as well. And so, I mean, that's that's two of your starting safeties that might not be able to play. So that's certainly yeah, an advantage for Oklahoma. So it's, yeah, and so it, it's going to be this – is, this is a super interesting game. You have, you have TCU that should – kind of be in a in a desperation situation but at the same time they've lost three games and they materially don't really have anything to play for and they're not going to win the big 12 unless they went out uh presumably they're certainly not going to be in the college football playoff so are you going to get a tcu team that comes out fired up and is just going to let you know everything loose and just play really loose or do you are, do you have a team that is that is given up on the season um i think that's going to be really interesting to find out because ou's got has the entire world to play for so, um, I, you know, that's, that's the sort of stuff that, that pops up this time of the year, especially when you're, you're going against a TCU team that had, you know, their eyes set probably on, you know, hopefully a Big 12 championship in their eyes. And that's not particularly realistic. I mean, they're 3-3, they're three and three, and they're going to be under 500 if they lose this game. So really interested to see what, what type of TCU team is going to show up. Um, all I do know is that, you know, they're, the Sooners have no excuse at all. They, they, they better be motivated to play this game. All right, so now to the point of the show where we talk about what we want to see happen on Saturday. The last time we did this before the Texas game, clearly uh, we didn't really get what we wanted to see, and uh, I didn't get to, I didn't get to what I thought would happen, which I'll get to in a moment. I kind of took a, took your thunder away because you wanted to see more Kennedy Brooks, but anything else that you want to see have happen on Saturday against TCU? 
Yeah, Lee, I'm just going to go through my bullet points. They're super quick here. Um, I have I have five of them for defense and one for offense. I'll just read through them real quick. Um, on defense, I want to see a complete scrapping of the two-gap scheme. I already said that um, this week. Um, admittedly, I do not know how feasible that is, if that's something that you can just throw away in the middle of the season. Um, so if, there, if there's anyone who, who has a little more knowledge on the situation, please reach out. would love to hear from you. But um, as I've said, that scheme needs to go. It needs to die in a fire. Um, if, if they roll that scheme out on Saturday, TCU will have a lot of success running the football. Um, I want to see an attacking, uh, attacking defensive lineman and aggressive front seven. Um, also, Lee, I, I hope to see a lot of four two five, and hopefully, if that football brainiacs report is accurate, that that looks like that's what we're going to see uh, with Man and Perkins on the field at the same time. Also, I, I just have another thing here that says tackle, tackle, tackle. I'd really like to see an improved uh, tackling team. Also, if you can't turn TCU over, Lee, you're not going to be able to turn it, uh, anybody over. So, I would really like to see them at least take take away the ball two or three times. And uh, staying on the defense, my last defensive take, this is a total fan take. And uh, actually, I, I, we, we didn't mention this, but this was another uh, a little bit of news that broke last week as well. Lee, I want to see Jalen Redmond against TCU. And that's, that's a hope on my part. Um, there's been talk that he potentially could play because he has been cleared for full contact. And so there has been some rumblings that he might be able to play against TCU um, and that, that's just me wanting to see Jalen Redmond. And also, I, I would like to throw uh, Delarian Turner Yell in there as well. Um, no inside, no inside uh, knowledge there. Just know that he was tearing it up in the summer until he got hurt. And I know he is, he's healthy now. He dressed for the Texas game. And so with the, the change in defensive coordinators and with all, you know, they could use all the help they can get at safety. So um, I'd like to see Delarian Turner Yell at some point in time. Have no clue if that's realistic or not. That's just a, a total fan take. Um, and also, Lee, just to go back to the offense, just want to see the offensive line build on a really good performance against Texas. And I'd like to see Kennedy Brooks get at least 10 touches. That's what I want to see. All right. I like all that stuff. I want to see all that as well. I'll add to it. Offensively, let's see. I think I just have one thought on offense that I'd like to add. I want to see Kyler Murray continue to be fantastic and do it again against a really good defense because we saw him play very well against Texas. Granted, a couple turnovers weren't great, but... For the most part, he was sensational against Texas. I want to see him also, again, play fantastic against a defense like TCU because for whatever reason, it seems like uh, after that loss to Texas the last couple of weeks that people are kind of starting to forget that. Yeah, I mean, there's two attack of Iloa that, you know, it's fair that he could be considered the number one Heisman guy. He's He's got incredible numbers that they're even technically better than Kyler's in a lot of ways. But for whatever reason, it, it seems like after that, like, there's kind of been people forgetting about Kyler Murray. Like the next person people talk about is like Dwayne Haskins from Ohio State. And I'm sorry, I mean, Kyler Murray's been in way better than Dwayne Haskins this year. And, and Dwayne Haskins has had a good season, but Kyler's been much better, in my opinion, than Dwayne Haskins. So I'd like him to have another fantastic game against a good defense to kind of remind everybody oh, hey, yeah, uh, I'm here. I'm really good. And I'm still a player that should be in contention for the Heisman Trophy. So that's that's my one offensive one. Uh, I have two things on defense, and they kind of they might kind of go hand in hand. We'll see. Number one, I'd like to see Oklahoma allow twenty one points or fewer to TCU. Let me let me just go over the numbers here. Uh, yeah, an Iowa State defense, who obviously is a much better defense than Oklahoma. Iowa State gave up seventeen in Fort Worth to TCU. All right, so Iowa State held them to seventeen, but the a week later. 
Texas Tech, so I guess last week, Tech held TCU to 14 points in Fort Worth. Texas Tech doesn't have that great of a defense. So if Tech can hold TCU to 14, Iowa State holding to 17, I think it's fair to, to not, maybe not fair, I, I just say I'd like this to put 21 points or less or fewer as the bar for Oklahoma's defense against this not-so-great uh, TCU offense. And actually, I, I will say, too, with Iowa State, Iowa State only allowed one offensive touchdown against TCU. The other touchdown the Horn Frogs got was a Ben Banigou fumble return touchdown. So Iowa State only allowed one touchdown. So the, the points allowed, I want to see that, 21 points or fewer. And secondly, and I'll, I'll give a little bit of a hat tip to the Sooner Scoop guys. I was listening to one of their most recent podcasts, and they kind of put this in my head, and it was a pretty good point. I want to see more accountability on defense, Grant. Uh, for example, you make a mistake, you miss a tackle, you're out of there. You get pulled for a play or two or a series, and somebody else goes in. And could, There's consequences to making mistakes, and I, I mentioned the Sooner Scoop guys. I can't remember which guy it was, but – uh, they mentioned, hey, look about look at the offense. You know, Kennedy Brooks, or you know, maybe makes a a bad play or does something wrong on a play. It doesn't really see much action the rest of the game. Or go back to last year, Abdul Adams fumbles, doesn't see another snap. I mean, there's immediate consequences to mistakes on offense. Doesn't seem like there has been immediate consequences to mistakes on defense at Oklahoma. I'd like to see that all of a sudden. Like, hey, you know, like like be afraid to lose your job, and that may you'll play better. Because if you always know that you're going to get out there, even if you screw up, then the, what what's the point of you really trying your best? Um, kind of along the lines of like competition breeds, you know, brings out the best in you. So those are the things that I would like to see happen. All right, the big question, Grant: What will happen? OU at TCU, 11 a.m. kick on Saturday. Right now, the Sooners are a seven and a half point road favorite. I'll let you go first. I think OU's going to win by 10. I think TCU's going to make some plays in the passing game. Jalen Rager's going to break free a couple times. I think Darius Anderson's probably going to be a pain in the butt a few times. Um, but I think Oklahoma's offense, Kyler Murray, Marquise Brown, CeeDee Lamb, those guys are going to – I I think they're going to make it look easy against TCU. I, I honestly do. 41-31, um, to 31, I think, is the final. All right. So for this, I want to take this quote from the Fort Worth Star-Telegram. And it's a Gary Patterson quote. So Patterson, after last week's loss to Texas Tech, Patterson said, quote, This program has been here before, gentlemen. It doesn't look good when you're 3-3 three and three and you're looking down the middle to Oklahoma and they've had two weeks to prepare for you. We're going to learn just like we did in 2013. Hopefully, we'll win more than we lose, end quote. TCU in 2013, Grant, went 4-8. and eight. Gary Patterson... He brought up 2013. Nobody else did. He brought up the three and three. The fact that he's saying stuff like that, to me, makes me think he's not too high on this team. And it's a team that potentially could end up, you know, somewhere along the line. I mean, they're not going to go four and eight. They're better than that. But, you know, what if this is like a more of like a, a six and six, seven and five team, kind of like the way I kind of figured they maybe they would be this year. Uh, that's the type of team that Oklahoma needs to beat and beat beat down. So I, I was completely wrong, obviously, the last time we, we did this and Oklahoma played. You know, I'd really love to not make a prediction on this podcast because I was so horribly wrong. I thought Oklahoma would blow out Texas and the defense would play well. That was an all-time Hall of Fame bad take. So what I'm going to do here is I'm going to make a prediction, but I'm going to cheat a little bit. And I'm going to take our, our good guys at the Fort Worth Star-Telegram, since I've mentioned them a few times on this podcast. 
Uh, they made a prediction already on this game, and the writer's name is Drew Davison, so I'll give him some credit. Drew doesn't seem to have a whole lot of confidence in this TCU offense going up against what has been a terrible Oklahoma defense up to this point. His prediction is 27-20 to 20 Oklahoma wins. Now, I'd like to think that Kyler Murray and company will score more than 27 points against TCU. However, if, if this guy thinks the Frogs are only going to manage 20 points this Saturday, I'll take it, and I'll feel good about an Oklahoma victory, so I'll go with that exact same score. Sooners win 27-20. to 20. We got one listener question, Grant, before we get into the rest of the show, and uh, this was a Twitter question, and uh, I don't know if we have, we probably won't spend too much time on this, but I figured, uh, you know, I appreciate uh, the Twitter, guy on Twitter, his name was uh, Dude from Edmond, I appreciate you reaching out to me on Twitter, and he asked, why shouldn't Oklahoma go out and get the Iowa State defensive coordinator? He already knows how to deal with the offenses in this league, I think it's a better idea than bringing in an outside guy who hasn't had to prove it. And so I, I replied to Dude from Edmond a bit on Twitter, but I'll also reply here. Uh, you know, John Haycock is the defensive coordinator at Iowa, and he's been fantastic, obviously, especially for the last couple of years. And uh, to me, he's a he's a dude that's been with Matt Campbell. They were together at was it Toledo? I think Campbell was at before he came to Iowa State. Grant, is that right? Do you know? Was it Toledo? Yes. Yeah. So they were together at Toledo. So to me, they seem like a package deal. And uh, uh, Matt Campbell's a guy that you would assume in the near future is going to get a big time job if he wants one. I, I can't, I mean, unless he's legitimately thinking, you know what, I'm going to make Iowa state my baby and make this a legitimate program. I mean, maybe, I don't know if that's in his head, but if he wants to go to a big program, he will. And you got to think that he'll want to bring Haycock with him. So I think the idea of Oklahoma going out and getting John Haycock as a DC is not going to happen. There's no way Matt Campbell would ever let that guy get away from him right now. Grant, what do you think about this question? Well, if we were if we were making the decision purely on X's and O's, then yeah, I'd I'd be all for 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 John Heacock coming here for sure. But I there's there's just a lot of things that I think are working against that. One, the thing that you just brought up, he he really does just kind of seem like Matt Campbell's guy. Um, he's he's an older guy, Lee, as, yeah, as well. Yeah. You would think that you know if it if he was like a really highly sought after coordinator, you would think he'd been poached by now. Um, as well, I, I just I don't know if he fits into the culture that Lincoln Riley's trying to to build here. Um, he he's never had to recruit like on an elite level before. Um, he doesn't really have any ties to to this part of the country at all. Um, I I just I like I said, if if it was pure X's and O's, I I think for sure he'd be a guy that I would love here. But I just there's there's just other factors that I think are working against him. But I mean the the guy's clearly a really good defensive coordinator. His uh, he's he, he's had the most sound defense in the Big 12 for for two straight years now, and it, it's not like they're they're recruiting four and five star guys over there. Um, so I, I I'm very impressed with Iowa State playing defense. I think they're they're an incredibly impressive defense based off. I at least they've I, I think they've sort of solved the riddle on on really how to defend these these offenses. I mean, did, did you watch that West Virginia game? I, I haven't I mean, got a was, chance to see it yet. No, I saw they held West Virginia to fewer than 200 yards of total offense. It was it was legitimately one of the most dominant defensive performances I've ever seen in this conference. I mean, it was West Virginia could not do anything. Um, and, and I, um, I I had texted you that uh, whoever uh, I I texted you that John Heacock had completely pants Jake Spavadol. 
uh, because West Virginia was baited into running into that that uh, that safety they bring down into the box all game long, all game long. They just on first and second down, West Virginia saw, oh, I think we have numbers advantages here. Let's just let's let's check to a run, and boom, just stopped the line <laughs> because they would immediately bring the safety down and, and stuff. Uh, uh, Kennedy at the uh, McCoy, who, who was West Virginia's running back? Is it Kennedy McCoy or something like I could that? Just, I could tell you yeah, the quarterback remember. and a couple of their receivers, and that's about it. So, uh, but yeah, Iowa State completely dominated West Virginia, um, and their defensive front dominated their offensive line as well, like physically. So, um, Iowa State they they look good. They look good. That's uh, if if they play like they did against West Virginia, they're not going to lose again this year. And I and I say that with one hundred percent confidence. Yeah, it's just God. They got to stop losing to Iowa at the start of the season. It's ridiculous. Stop losing to Iowa. It's just yeah, they, it sucks too. They got their their first game got rained out too. Uh, that's that's just not not great for them. I mean, they're gonna re. I mean, they're gonna replay it. So I mean, they'll get that extra win because it's like against like Incarnate Word or something, and it's the day of the Big Twelve title game, and Iowa State's not gonna play in that. Oh, that's right. So I mean, they'll yeah, get that extra. Right. They'll get the chance to get that extra W. But still, it's just uh, yeah. I mean, that team. It's just uh, they're they're good. They're a darn good team, and they just had a pretty rough st- schedule to start the season. And it just it bothers me though that they lost to TCU. I it you know who knows if Brock Purdy would have played against the Horn Frogs. I know Zeb Nolan clearly wasn't the answer, but hey, he looked like the answer against Oklahoma. Surprise, surprise! That the week after Oklahoma, Zeb Nolan I think led Iowa State to twenty six points and like maybe a little over five yards per play against like Akron. And then I think it was injuries that uh, gave Brock Purdy the chance. Who he looks he looks great. I mean that guy looks really good. So, yeah, Iowa State's a fun team. Yeah, it looks pretty good. Um, all right, so Big 12 games in Week 8. There's only one other game other than Oklahoma TCU. It's Kansas at Texas Tech. Uh, who cares? So let's just move on to cross them off. And we didn't get a chance to cross any teams off last week because Oklahoma was on a bye. So we do have some incredibly obvious cross-off teams to add to the list. But first, I'll state who you and I have crossed off so far. So, Grant, you've crossed off Washington, Auburn, and LSU. I've crossed off Michigan and Wisconsin. And the obvious new cross-offs for me are Washington, Penn State, and Auburn. And kudos to you, Grant, for having both Washington and Auburn already on your cross them off list. So, congratulations there. Do you have any other teams that you'd like to cross off this week? I do. We got a lot now after last week, so I think we can officially cross off from my list. Uh, Penn State and Wisconsin as well. That's not going to happen. They've both lost their second game. Um, I got I got some fun ones too Lee, coming up here. Here we <laughs> go. Right. This is why this this is why this segment. All right, would be great. so another one we can officially cross off in my mind. West Virginia is not winning the national oh, championship. Yeah. Go ahead and cross them yeah. off. I'll cross them off on mine too. That's a good call. Yeah. All right. Who else? Who do I got here? Oh wait, no. I I guess I only have one more I get to add now too, Lee. And this this is this is my favorite one that I get to add in there, uh, because they're now. I mean, they're now right in the thick of things with what happened last week. Lee, go ahead and cross Texas off for me, please. <laughs> oh yeah, you don't you don't think Texas has it, huh? But Grant, they're in the top ten. They're they're ranked on seventh in the nation. I'm I'm more confident in Texas, like finishing the season seven and five than I am of them going to the playoff or winning a national championship oh man they have a bye so that comes out a good time so, so Sam Ellinger can get healthy because he has that shoulder thing but now they got 
after the bye at Oklahoma State, which Oklahoma State's not particularly great. But hey, by that by that time, Oklahoma State might change quarterbacks and maybe they'll get a spark and maybe the Cowboys could be a little interesting. Uh, then they're at home against West Virginia. West Virginia was exposed against Iowa State, that's for sure. At Texas Tech's interesting. Texas Tech's feisty. They're a feisty team this year under Cliff Kingsbury. Then that home game against Iowa State late in the year is interesting. And then, of course, at Kansas. But, yeah, I mean, you know, West Virginia, Texas Tech, and Iowa State are three very losable games for Texas. Yeah, I think. I think they're going to lose two of those three uh, between West Virginia, Iowa State, and Texas Tech. I think they're going to lose two of three. Yeah, we'll see. I uh, That's a good one. Um, I, I added West Virginia. I'm not going to add Texas just yet. Uh, I actually didn't have anybody else I was going to add. I mean, you, you put West Virginia in my head. The one team I really wanted to add, I really want to add, I just don't have enough guts to add them, is Ohio State. I don't. Ohio State might not be good like relative to elite teams. I mean, Minnesota could have easily won that game. Minnesota's offense was carving up Ohio State's defense, gashing them for a lot of that game. And TCU's offense did the same thing. Uh, that Ohio State defense is capable of being exposed. The problem is Purdue, Nebraska on the schedule, at Michigan State. Michigan State's offense is not very good. At Maryland, I mean, it's just they don't play that many good teams until they got to play against Michigan, which they'd likely be undefeated. So that's why I, I'm not putting Ohio State in there because they they don't really have many tests until they've got to play Michigan. So that's kind of sad. They also lead their their offense is legitimately great. They they have a very very good offense. Yeah, did you notice though too? They were um, they were so. putting the ball. In that, in that Minnesota-Ohio State game, they're really putting the ball in Dwayne Haskins' hands a lot down the stretch when they probably should have been running the ball. And it, they can't. They couldn't run. Uh, uh, the Gophers, Lee. Actually, this is funny. The Gophers have the number one uh, run defense per S and P in the oh country. God. Uh, they couldn't. The, I I need to go and and watch the Gophers a little more closely because they're obviously doing something creative and fun with their front. They've been dominant against the run all season long. Ohio State could not run the ball a lick against the Gophers. I thought that was interesting. Huh. Um, so I mean, that's why they they just they gave up on it. They just couldn't run the ball, which was which was funny because the Gophers were just. Yeah, I mean, Ohio State's defense is a problem. When you have when the Gophers were getting chunk plays consistently against them, um, it's certainly an issue. But a lot like Oklahoma Lee, their offense is going to cover up a lot of their problems. And as you know, as as many question marks as Ohio State's defense has posed this year up to this point, their defense is still a whole hell of a lot better than Oklahoma. Oh yeah, like on every yeah, level. No, that's so yeah. Um, no, I'm not. I. I, I think Ohio State is much much more vulnerable now than they were. I, I think I, I think again you were just you were way too quick on the draw with Michigan. I, I think Michigan is absolutely a threat to Ohio State in that in that division now. Um, and also you, I mean, Maryland has an explosive offense, and so does so does Purdue actually. So Ohio State could actually put more deficiencies on tape against those teams as well. So it's it's something to keep in mind. Yeah, I mean, you could argue too that. Michigan hasn't still hasn't played a team really with a pulse since Notre Dame and I'm sorry Wisconsin's terrible Wisconsin is just terrible screw those guys Wisconsin's not terrible is a bad word to use there um everything is relative relative to like top 15 top 25 teams they're they just god Alex Hornibrook is so bad gosh that guy is so bad of course if you guys remember I put I put Wisconsin in my playoff. So did I. You convinced year, me. So I thought I'm, it was a good pick. One, yeah, I'm, I'm 
just I'm I'm one year late, or I guess because their schedule is so their schedule is so yeah. This is the worst. Yeah, this is the worst Wisconsin team I've seen in in quite quite a a long time. The defense just isn't great. I mean, they're 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 yeah, their lack of talent on defense is very apparent. So, um, which they were able to cover up, uh, you know, last couple years. I mean, things with Michigan, yeah, like you know, they ran for 320 yards against uh, Wisconsin. It's like you're not going to be able to just like run the ball down everybody's throat. That's good. That's so Michigan still is a bit of a a bit of fool's gold, I think, right now. Uh, I don't know if you're ever fool's gold, Lee, when you have the number one defense in the country like they do. Yeah, I just, you know, who's going to, who have they played that has an offense? I mean, uh, still, Lee, if, if, if we're going to give OU a ton of credit for having the number one offense in the country, which they do, and that, that can carry them, I think you, you have to, at least some of the same logic should apply to Michigan, who has per S&P as well, by far the number one defense in the country. Like, um, so... All right, you know what? Fine. Okay, know. that's fair. Ta- ta- and and we'll, we'll apply this logic too. Uh, Oklahoma's schedule up until... Um, I guess, I mean, now that we, we know... I mean, Iowa State's got a good defense. So, I mean, Oklahoma's offense, uh, the best in the country, has fared pretty darn well against Iowa State and Texas, two pretty darn good defenses. If Michigan's top-ranked defense can face an offense that's any good... And be look and fare really well, then okay, then I'll start to praise them. But the thing is, they haven't faced a good offense yet. I mean, Maryland is Maryland's offense really that great? They gave up twenty one points to Maryland. I mean, I know Maryland did well against that Texas offense, but or defense, but that was two years in a row. What a weird situation that's been with Maryland uh, boat racing Texas. I mean, they they held Maryland to two hundred and twenty yards. I mean, is that I guess? Do you have your numbers in front of you? Is that a good offense, Maryland? You said they were a second ago. No, they're not. They're seventy fourth in S and P. The best the the best offense they face is Notre Dame. Without um, they Ian lost Book. that game. They gave up twenty. Without Ian Book and but there's not, Notre Dame was did not have a good offensive game though. Lee, they had a thirty three percent success rate in that game. They they really Notre Dame was really lucky to win that game against Michigan. But yeah, like well yeah, was, I mean they, they that, had, that was a game they had, Michigan they had won. Wimbush playing quarterback for. I mean if I mean who knows? I mean Ian Book might have had a lot more success. We'll never know. Yeah, so I, I mean, I'm not, I'm not ready to go all in on Michigan like yet. I, I think their their offense is probably still really inconsistent and is going to pose some problems for them. But their defense is absolutely elite of the elite. No one has, no one's moved the ball on them this year at all. all. Right. Their 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 worst their worst defensive performance of the year was against Northwestern Lee um, in Week Five when they were in the 78th percentile for the country of their defensive per- performance. That's their worst performance of the year. Um, so, I mean, their their defense is is elite, 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 very good. Um, we'll see. I, there's there's going to be times I'm sure where where teams like they they have Penn State coming up. Penn State's probably going to be able to get some chunk plays against them, and it's going to come down to you know how their offense reacts. We'll yeah. see. We've probably talked way too much about Michigan. Probably yeah. All right, let's do the picks. Uh, last, uh, I guess, two weeks ago, we didn't make picks last week because we didn't have a show. Uh, you were three and two. I was two and three. We're both still not great. Uh, you're right at 500 for the year, Grant. You're 15 and 15. I'm a game or two games below at 14 and 16. We got five games to go. We're gonna pick this week. We'll start with uh, that Michigan team we were just discussing. They're gonna be on the. They're gonna be on the road at Michigan State, who just knocked off, uh, just knocked off Penn State. Michigan is a seven point favorite. On the road against Michigan State, a team that 
has been pretty much offensively challenged uh, this season. And I think Michigan State, okay, yeah, they, they were on the road against Penn State. Now they're going to be at home. Uh, even though I just kind of said all these negative things about Michigan, I'm actually going to take the Wolverines minus the seven because when Michigan's played against teams that they're just a lot better than and they've kind of bullied them and, and they've covered. Um, I was on Wisconsin plus like eight or nine last week, and that was a terrible pick. I don't think Michigan State's offense is going to be able to do anything. I mean, they're – they can't move the fo- football that well. Uh, if Michigan's defense is as good as everyone says it is, you know they should be able to slow it down. Now the thing is, though, Michigan State's run defense I think might be the best in the nation. Michigan State's run defense is, is great, and Michi- Michigan's very good at running the football, not so great at throwing the football. So that's that's interesting. But I will lay the seven points and take Michigan. Michigan, I'll uh, just lean that way. What about you, Grant? Yeah, Michigan State is actually per S and P the number one rush defense in the country. So you were right about that. Um, let's see here. I, I lean Michigan here, Lee, um, only just because it seems like in these situations, Michigan State is always able to kind of pull a rabbit out of their hat. Um, Michigan State was really lucky to beat Penn State last week, was really lucky to do so. Um, and it seems like that's kind of their MO. They, they get outplayed a lot and still can sometimes win games. Um, and until I see, until I see Michigan actually rise up and do what they're supposed to do to teams that that may not really be that great, um, it's it's only going to be a lean for me. I, I think Michigan is is quite a bit better than Michigan State, um, but going on the road and in a rivalry game, weird things can happen. So that's why I just lean Michigan. Looking at the box score from Penn State, Michigan State, the Nittany Lions actually ran the ball pretty well against Michigan State. Uh, according to the box score, six point four yards per carry. That's pretty good. Next game. NC State, number 16 in the country, at number three, Clemson. This is the first first time all season Clemson's played a team ranked in the top 25. The Tigers are 17-point favorites against NC State. This is tough for me because I haven't even seen the Wolfpack play all year, so I'm not sure if they're any good. Uh, Clemson is coming off just an absolute beatdown of Wake Forest. I think they might have been on a bye last week, Clemson was. I think. I don't think they played. Uh Seven, lane 17 at home. Gosh. Um, I This is so dumb because I put this game in there, but I have no feel for it. Um, you know what? I'm actually going to – I'm going to lean Clemson, lane all those points. What about you? I'm going to lean NC State. Uh, per S&P, this is by far the best team that Clemson is playing the remainder of the season. NC State's 19th in S&P overall. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, it's at Clemson. I could see Clemson coming out and just blowing their doors off. But I, I'm going to lean NC State. Uh, just actually, no, no, I'm changing that. I'm Clemson for sure. I, I just I don't see. I, I don't see it. I it's it's just wishful thinking on my part. I think I I, just, I really just don't see them losing, and I think they'll they'll roll. And looking at Clemson's schedule, yeah, they were on a bye this past week. I mean, they're going to know. I mean, they know this is the first time they played a ranked team, and they're at home coming off a bye. you got to think, think they're going to be super up for it because they know that they got to – their schedule is not great. they got to make sure the resume looks really good. So, uh, And also, too, uh, NC State's coming off a bye as well. So both teams are going to be fresh. I just I, – again, I haven't seen NC State play this year. They haven't played anybody really very good at all. The best team NC State's played this year is Virginia. And they won by two touchdowns. So I, Virginia's uh, okay team, I guess. So uh, yeah, I will I will lean with the 
17 points, minus 17 Clemson. Uh, this is for you, Grant. Again, for the second time in a row, we're going to put Minnesota in the picks. The Golden Gophers are at Nebraska. The Cornhuskers are laying four points. Nebraska looking for its first win of the season. Can Nebraska get its first W over P.J. Fleck and the Gophers? Uh, this is going to be, I mean, classic letdown spot for Minnesota after playing Ohio State so close last week, and it's a it's another road game for Minnesota. So that's tough too. Oh, I mean, they got a desperate Nebraska team. Maybe every game they're desperate, but uh, I I'm gonna God, this is so square. But I'm gonna take the points and go grab Minnesota plus four. Even though again, this is kind of like a letdown spot. Back to another road game in a row after a. Played a top team uh, against a winless team. Maybe the, the motivation might not be there for Minnesota, but I I've I bet Nebraska once this year and I lost. I don't want to bet them again. What about you? What do you think? I like Minnesota to win outright. Um, Nebraska has a true freshman quarterback and who can't really throw the ball. They're going to try to run, and as we said on this podcast, Minnesota is one of the best run defenses in the country. I I like the Gophers outright. All right, I guess I will just lean. I know I'm lame. I don't have any strong likes. Uh, this fourth game, Mississippi State at LSU. LSU laying six and a half points. And from here on out, I might just I might always just play LSU. I like the Tigers minus six and a half. I don't think Mississippi State's particularly very good. Uh, I think I got burned on this, though, a couple weeks ago. I think I bet against Mississippi State. I can't remember what game it would have been, and I lost. Uh, but I'm going to take the Tigers minus six and a half. I like LSU. Grant, what do you say? I like Mississippi State. This is classic, classic letdown for LSU. Ooh. LSU is not as good, uh, in my opinion, as as their resume dictates. They're they they are atrocious on offense, and they still are. Um, they have they've had a propensity this season to come up with the perfect play in the perfect time, but on a play by play basis over the course of the year, they are one of the least efficient offenses in college football. That's not sustainable. LSU is not a good offensive team. I think they're plucky. And they have a lot of heart, and they they have a lot of grit, but you can't be that inefficient and bad on offense for that long, um, and and continue this this trajectory. Lee, they have um, LSU this season. Lee has has two games in which their post game win expectancy was sixteen percent against Auburn, and they still won that game. And then the game they actually did lose against Florida, their post game win expectancy was twenty one percent. I mean, this is a team that has been has been thoroughly outplayed in two of their games this season, um, and they still only have one loss. I, I there's there, there's more losses for LSU coming down the pipeline. They're just not good enough on offense. I I think you're you're using the stats too much as a crutch with LSU's offense. LSU's offense is a lot better than people are saying it is. I mean, they put up a lot of yards and points against Georgia's defense last week. Now you got another home game for LSU. This time it's at night against a Mississippi State team whose offense is incredibly one-dimensional. And another reason why LSU's, I think, offense has been good enough is because the LSU defense has been so good. It's been backing it up. Mississippi State hadn't really played anybody yet this year. The best team at Mississippi State's play was at probably Kentucky, now that we know Auburn kind of stinks. And they played Auburn back when Auburn was in the top 10 at, at uh, geez, uh, in Starkville. Uh, Mississippi State went to Kentucky, lost by three touchdowns. Now you got to go at LSU who's much better than Kentucky. This is the best team Mississippi State's played all year. I get LSU only laying less than a touchdown at home against a one-dimensional offense. I like LSU. LSU is, I mean, sure, I'll, I'll give them credit for beating Georgia, but to say that their offense was good against Georgia is just, is just not accurate. 
They they had a thirty five percent success rate. Okay, again, they were incredibly incredibly by the S&P, incredibly helped it's with. It's not always it always doesn't tell you the whole game though. The whole picture. A, you don't you don't think success rate is you don't think that's relevant yeah. at all? Literally, the percentage of plays that you have that are good plays. What was Georgia's success <laughs> like, rate against LSU? 41 percent. Why they only get over sixteen points? Because they turned it over four times. That's why Georgia lost. Full stop. All right. Well, that tells me that LSU's got a pretty good defense. I mean, I know LSU does have a good defense. I'm just saying you can't be that bad on offense for that long, and and just and have it be sustainable. Well, I mean, it's not going to happen. LSU LSU is 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 very below average to bad on. Yeah, offense. and and that came up and it bit them when they lost to Florida in the swamp. I mean that that was a problem. But now you got. I mean, you get them at home. I like LSU at home a lot more, obviously. Uh, so yeah, there you go. And the final game, Oregon at Washington State. It's the Cougars minus two and a half. So the Cougars is the twenty fifth ranked team is laying points uh, against Oregon. This is a six thirty kick on uh, on Saturday. You got Oregon big win over Washington at home. Now they got now they're uh, they're actually they're road dogs against Washington State. This is interesting. I kind of I think I'm gonna. I'm going to lean towards Oregon in the points. I think Oregon's probably a better team. I get points. I know it's going to be a big game for Washington State. I think game day is going to be there for the first time, so a huge game. But uh, I'm sorry. I don't trust Mike Leach that that much, especially in big games like this. I'm going to lean Oregon plus two and a half. I like Washington State. I think they're going to win. Uh, They're going to cover the spread. Um, I I just – I don't – game day being there for the first time, you know the crowd is going to be just crazy. I, I just I the storybook ending or with Washington State I, I think Washington State's going to win this game and I think Oregon Oregon's actually like bad on defense I, I just I, I don't see them going into a good offensive team on the road and not getting shredded hmm. so you know I, I'm I'm going to take Washington State I think they I think they're going to win by double digits it's going to be one of those like wave games where the crowd is just like so overwhelming and Oregon just can't recover from all of the momentum that that that's how I see the game playing out one final thought on this game. I gotta say, I'm I'm not that impressed with Justin Herbert, and he's being talked as like the number one pick in the draft, and which I mean we've said before months ago that this quarterback class isn't great. He's got a nice arm, certainly a very strong arm, and I think it's somewhat accurate. But it's just he, and I know he's somewhat athletic, but I don't know. I just put it this way: if I was like a NFL fan and and my team needed a quarterback and got him, you know, in the first round, top of the draft, I'm not sure how excited I would be about him. I don't know. Do you have any, have you, do you have any strong thoughts on Justin Herbert yet? I think he's a good player. Um, I, I don't, I don't have any really well, like crystallized thoughts or anything like that. I just, I think he's a good player. He's never done Um, anything yet on, he does. He jumps out to me on tape. On a, from like an NFL draft perspective though, he just, I can't shake this feeling. He's just got a he's he's just got a huge just Blaine Gabbert vibe to me. That's all. Huh. Okay, that's interesting. Well, that's it for today. We've gone way too long. So if you've stuck with us the entire time, we appreciate it. If not, that's fine too. Enjoy Oklahoma versus TCU. It will be incredibly awesome if the Sooners defense looks immediately better than it has looked against other average offensive teams. Ooh, that's the point that I wanted to make that I didn't have time to make. Like People are like, oh, you know, TCU's offense hasn't been great, so it's a good thing Ruffin McNeil gets this test. It's like, well, you know what? Like, Oklahoma's defense has given up a bunch of yards and points to average to bad offenses this year. So 
if Oklahoma actually doesn't do that against TCU, I think that'll be a sign that this defense is a lot better immediately. Would you agree with that, Grant? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, one of the hallmarks of good teams or, or good units on teams is doing exactly what you're supposed to against teams that you're supposed to do that against. Um, and so te- TCU's offense is, is not good. It has not been good in the first half of the season. Um, hopefully, facing the Sooners is not the remedy that they need. Right, yeah, it um, might be. <laughs> it, it, but yeah, I mean, it would, I, I would love to see a good performance. It would, it'd, be, it'd be sweet to see the defense from the, from the first two weeks of the season uh, with a completely different scheme, of course. <laughs> So, yeah, it'd be great if the the defense looks immediately better. Well, whatever happens on Saturday, we'll be back to talk all about it next Monday. Until then, for Grant, I am Lee. This is West of Everest.